Pastor has been talking about the gospel according to Moses, and uh, I do have one scripture I would like to start off with reading. So if you would stand and honor the word of the Lord. It's found in Isaiah 46 and verse 10. I'm sure we've all heard this. It says, remember the former things of old. Seems to me when God's telling us to remember the former things of old, we should pay special attention to what those former things of old are. It says, For I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. From ancient times the things which are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. You may be seated. So it seems to me the more I study Scripture, the more I become fully aware that God is a God of completion. He doesn't like to leave things undone. In fact, nothing in the Word of God falls to the ground. Everything is perfect. It is absolute Word of God. Um, And the more I study Scripture, the more I find things that God established or allowed in its beginning. He brings it back full circle to the way that it was when it was first established. Um, this verse that we read, declaring the end from the beginning. We should remember the things of old. Why? Because he declared that from the beginning. So the title of my uh, sermon tonight is Back to the Future. You have to forgive me. I was born in 1981. I'm an 80s kid. And um, any chance that I get to reference old 80s movies, I will certainly take that chance. But I, I believe that when we actually look back to the beginning... We are actually looking back to the future because God's going to bring everything back full circle. He is a God of completion. So a couple examples of this. Um, The Bible says that God is the author and finisher. He's going to complete that. He's going to finish that story of your life. Uh, Philippians says, he that hath begun a good work in you shall perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's not going to start something in you that he has no desire of finishing. He's a God of completion, and he will finish what he started. The book of Genesis, we read in the beginning, it starts with a river and two trees. You flip to the end, the end of the book begins or starts in Revelation. It ends with a river and two trees. God got it all the way back to what it was in the beginning. Okay, Um, think about all the feasts. I'm not going to get sidetracked with all the feasts. There's uh, Passover, unleavened breads, first fruits, uh, Pentecost, known as the Feast of Weeks, Trumpets, Atonement, and Tabernacle. God established that in the beginning with the nation of Israel. We are living proof that God is fulfilling those feasts as we speak. Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits were filled, fulfilled with Calvary. Uh, Pentecost was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost was poured out upon all flesh. The next feast yet to be fulfilled is the Feast of Trumpets. Could anybody doubt what in the world is the spiritual supernatural fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets? Our God's coming back. He's coming back with the voice of a trumpet. That feast will begin, will get fulfilled. 
Then we have atonement. Atonement stands for at one meant. And I'm sorry to the sound room, none of this is in my notes. The atonement stands for at one meant. I believe once we get raptured, same thing that Jesus Christ did. He took a trip to examine the sacrifice. We're going to be resur- resurrected because of the power of the Holy Ghost. That power of the Holy Ghost is like nothing else on the planet. It's, it's like a bolt of lightning. In fact, the Greek, Greek word is dunamos. It literally means a stick of dynamite. It's exactly like a bolt of lightning with 1.21 gigawatts. It's amazing that God brings things back to the beginning. That atonement that we are going to, He's going to examine us. And as long as you've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, as long as that price has been paid for you and I, as long as that Holy Ghost is alive and well inside of you, He examines you. And once and for all, this carnal nature gets dealt with. We're going to get a glorified body. I believe that's going to happen when the Jews on this planet are celebrating the Feast of Atonement. And then, of course, tabernacles. It's a 10-day party. It's a celebration. You ever heard of the the marriage supper of the Lamb? Uh, It's my personal belief. When they're celebrating tabernacles down here, we're going to be celebrating up there the Feast of, of our marriage supper of the Lamb. God brings it back to what He established in the beginning. In fact, the disciples were having a a conversation with Jesus Christ and they're saying, hey, um, you know, what are we going to look for? What's the culture and the climate going to be in our society to look for your return? And this is what he said. It's found in Matthew 24, verse 37. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus said, if you want to understand what it's going to be like, you've got to look back to your future. Looking back will determine where we're going. God established this perfectly in Scripture. So I started to study what in the world was going on in the days of Noah. A couple thoughts that I, or verses that I found. It says, the thoughts of man were evil continually. You imagine a society that's just nothing but evil thoughts without ending? Continually evil thoughts. It says that violence filled the earth. Could we ever doubt or argue that violence is filling our earth as we speak? Society was filled with paganism. See, the problem when a nation turns from God, there becomes more distance and there's more room for false pagan gods to take its place. You see, you're a worshiper. You might not fully understand that. But I promise you, you can either worship the one true God or you will worship something else. And God is allowing the society, not by his choice, but he gave us free will. In society, we're seeing it. It's going back to the what it was in the days of Noah. It's returning to paganism, a godless nation and a godless society. There were two female gods found in the Old Testament in the beginning. One was Ishtar and one was Ashtaroth. Now, these two female gods, um, with the study that I was able to find, they were the ones responsible for violence and war and sexual perversion. Okay, so, so there, I don't want to go into too much detail with all of that, but war and sexual perversion, anything that is not natural, that God established in the beginning, He made them male and He made them female. He, he had Adam and he had Eve. Okay, we understand where I'm going with this. Anything outside of what God established in the beginning is worship to Ishtar and Astaroth. Okay, 
Now, there's also two male gods found in the Old Testament. One of them is Molech. The other one is Baal. Okay. Now, both of these um, acts of worship unto these false pagan gods, one of them is um, self-mutilation. Okay? We, we read about the story of Elijah calling down fire. The people that he had challenged, let's see if your God or my God is the true God. They were dancing around and they were calling unto Baal, praying unto him, and they were cutting themselves. Now, I never had to, I, I mentioned I grew up in the 80s. I never had to deal with any of my friends taking a razor blade to their arms or to their leg. Like, it's nothing that I ever, in fact, it wasn't until my daughter went to middle school and she's coming home and her friends are opening up to her and, and saying, you know what, I'm cutting myself every night just to deal with the stress, just to deal with the anxiety of everyday life. And, and I remember just weeping after she's telling me this, thinking, this, this is what 12-year-olds are going through? This, this right here is what 13-year-olds go through? That life is so bad. That the only way you can cope and get through your day is to take a razor blade to your skin. Which is an act of worship to pagan gods. And it's becoming more prevalent and more prominent. But the main thing, the, the most, the most um, common pagan god mentioned in scripture by far is the god of Baal. Okay? And the number one thing, the number one act of worship that you could worship Baal with is child sacrifice. They called it passing through the fire. And we are a generation that does the exact same thing. Okay? We have aborted 60 million babies. Now, I, I want to take a minute here. It's important to know that this is a place of healing. It's important to know that this is a place where judgment is not going to find you among God's people. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Some were such of you. You know, like we've all got stuff that, that we've dealt with. Okay, so if there's somebody in this place and you've had an abortion, it's not a death sentence. It's not, it's not something that you can't recover from. It's not something that God can't bring you from. Okay, we can put this, we, it's especially in, in Christian circles, it's the, it's the big bad sin that nobody wants to talk about, nobody wants to forgive. But this is a place of healing for that. But it is an act of worship to a pagan God. And, and so I started to do a little bit of research about what actually abortion clinics and, and, and places do after they have an aborted fetus. They actually incinerate the parts. The parts that aren't used. It's the exact same thing. We're killing our kids and we're passing them through the fire as a society, as an act of worship to a pagan God. And, and so I, I really started to try to dive into this and, and I found something amazing. They have a picture that they'll put up on the screen behind me. This is in Syria and it's something called the Arch of Baal. That temple right there that you see in the background that is where the child sacrifices happened, where the self-mutilation happened. And in order to go on the pathway to get to the temple, you had to go through this arch right here. It was the entrance to the path to their temple for their pagan worship. And this was in Syria. Now, ISIS destroyed this arch in 2015, but they have since made replicas of this arch. In fact, if we go to the next picture... This next picture is found in New York City. We have a replica of the gateway to the Temple of Baal in New York City. 
And if that's not shocking enough, they have one more picture on the screen behind me. This is the Arch of Baal at our nation's capital. So we have voluntarily and accepted worship to pagan gods in this society. God has allowed, because we have turned away as a nation, other gods have moved in. And this is what's accepted now in our culture and in our society. God has allowed it to come full circle exactly to what it was in the days of Noah. We have come full circle. We have come back to our future. So it began this, this is what began this path. And I said, okay, God, if you're allowing this to come full circle back to what it was in the beginning, I started to wonder about the nation of Israel. Of course, the nation of Israel, God decided to make a covenant with a man named Abraham. And out of Abraham came this great nation. And God promised that they would be his people and he would be their God. And and the whole Old Testament is about this roller coaster of relationship between God's people and the God of the people. And um, you get into the New Testament and, and the birth of the New Testament church and um, the persecution that was there and, and the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. and the Jews scattered and they spread all over the world. But I found this verse in Isaiah, Isaiah 11 and verse 12. It says, And he shall set up a sign for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. God promised, I'm going to bring you back to the land that I gave your fathers. Ezekiel 20, verses 41 and 42, I will will accept you with your sweet savor when you bring out of you the foe of the people and gather you out of the countries wherein you have been scattered, and I will be sanctified in you before the heathen. And you shall know that I am the Lord, and I shall bring you into the land of Israel, into the country, for uh, the which I have lifted up my hand to give to your fathers. It's a promise that God made to Israel. You're going to scatter. That has to happen for the gospel's sake. When the Jews scattered the persecution, they thought they were actually going to stomp out the revival that was happening. It actually caused those embers to spread and the gospel flourished throughout the whole world. But God promised, He says, even though I'm going to scatter you, I will bring you back to the land that I gave you. And it put me down this path of when did these Jews from all over the world start coming back to the land? I found in uh, 2000, or I'm sorry, um, 1917, there's something known as the Balfour Declaration. There were so many Jews in Great Britain that Great Britain didn't quite know what to do with them. And the nation of Israel had been overcome at this time by the Ottoman Empire. And, um, you know, they had to decide um, the Jews all wanted to go back to the land of Palestine was known at the time. And Great Britain said, you know what, we're going to issue this declaration. The Balfour Declaration says we declare that the Jews have a home in the land of Israel. And it was a, a recognized by a world power that the Jews have some entitlement to this land. And God will often use a world power, whether it's a godly world power or a heathen world power. He raises and tears down kingdoms like puppets. Don't get, don't get sidetracked with, with our current government and, and what's going on. They're all, it all works for the good. Okay. God can use anybody anywhere, anytime. 
All right, so God decided to use Great Britain to declare that the Jews have legal rights to the nation of Israel and actually used Great Britain's army to drive out the Ottoman Empire so that the Jews could live there. Like God and God alone, 1917 was a Jubilee year. For those of you who know, the year of Jubilee was a year that God promised every 50 years on a Jubilee year. I'm going to give you back what you lost. Okay, And this happened on a year of Jubilee. Fast forward to 1948. Um, FDR is the... the president of that four-year period. He is in office for just over 80 days and uh, decides to die. And an unlikely vice president, people were puzzled when Harry Truman was actually the running mate of FDR. And um, he's just an unlikely uh, politician. And lo and behold, Harry Truman is the president of the United States. And what we have is after World War II, we of course know the horrors of the concentration camps and, and the Nazis and, and wreaked havoc among the Jewish nation. And um, there have these millions and millions of Jews in the concentration camps. And, and the United Nations is trying to figure out what in the world are we going to do with all of the Jews that have been dispersed out of their homeland. And Harry Truman's getting, he's got presidential advisors, you know, from both sides. Some are saying side with the Jews. Some are saying side, side with Palestine because, you know what, at, at the time they wanted to side with Palestine because, you know, if Russia decides to attack, remember the Cold War and all that stuff that was going on and Sputnik and the, the NASA race and all that. If we need oil, we need to have the Arabic nations as allies to give us the oil so that we can fight Russia. So there's a lot of pressure upon Harry Truman. But what a lot of people don't know is Harry Truman's best friend as a child was a Jewish boy. And when Harry Truman got older, he decided to start a business with a Jewish man. And to this, to, to, up until this day, he was best friends. In fact, it was more than a friendship. Harry Truman is known as saying that he was more of a brother than a friend. So there was, God positioned people in Harry Truman's life because he knew at one point, I'm going to raise you up. In a specific time, I'm going to put you on the world stage and I'm going to need you to do the right thing. And I'll lead you and I'll guide you. I'll be with you. And in 1948, after some secret meetings with, with some Jewish people, with Harry Truman under the cover of night, Harry Truman goes to the United Nations and he says, Israel needs to become a nation. And of course, in May of 1948, Israel became a nation under the unlikely support of Harry Truman. Now, of course, coming off of the World War, this is the, this is the real first time that the United States became a, a global power, right? Led, leading the world. This, of course, happens after we bless Israel. There's a verse that says, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. I'm here to tell you when you're a blessing to the nation of Israel, God keeps good books. And it was after this declaration of Harry Truman, God raised up the United States. He raised up our military. He raised up our economy. There was great blessing upon the United States because of what Harry Truman did in 1948. If I look to 1967, there's something known as the Six-Day War. Russia had sent letters to the surrounding Arabic nations around Israel saying that Russia or that Israel had planned to go to war with them. 
So in a preemptive strike, they all decided to team up together and to attack the nation of Israel. Um, At this time, there was not many Jews in the nation of Israel, um, a few million, and they were surrounded by nations that, that exceeded their numbers, exceeded their tanks, exceeded their infantry. It was literally David against Goliath. And so the Jews, knowing that they were surrounded and knowing that they were outnumbered and outmatched, they decided to make their peace with their loved ones. Within the nation of Israel, the Jews had actually begun to dig graves for one another, anticipating the impending manslaughter. But the Jews have something known as appointed readings. They have scriptures that they read on the Sabbath that have been appointed from rabbis many, many, many years prior. And on the Sabbath before this war started, these words were included in the reading of the appointed day. It says, go to war, I am with you. So Israel found faith in the God of their fathers. Believed that he would do what he is famous for. And in a miracle, in five days, the six, uh, sorry, six days, the six day war was over. In a miraculous victory, Israel had driven out the forces that occupied the nation of Israel. See, even though they had become a nation, Jerusalem was a city who was governed and operated by what is known as the occupying force in the city. And it was on the six day war that those forces were driven out giving completely back to the Jews their nation. And for those of you doing the math, 1917, Jubilee year. 1967, Jubilee year. If we fast forward to 2017, think what you want to of Donald Trump, but he had the courage to do what no other president in existence had the courage to do. In 2017, Donald Trump declared the United States Embassy, to be in Jerusalem, not Tel Aviv. And it was because of that declaration by a world power, an unlikely president that God raised up and used in a moment, good or bad, take that out of the... God uses anybody that He wants to. And He decided to use Donald Trump in this way, declaring Jerusalem belongs to the Jews. And that was in a year of Jubilee. So we have our world going back to paganism. We have the Jews returning to the homeland. I had wondered about the religious people in the Bible. What were they like in their beginning? You don't take too long reading in Matthew. In Matthew 3, you start reading about somebody known as the Sadducees. And um, I decided to do a little bit of research and try to figure out, you know, because we've all heard of the Pharisees. And we've heard of Sadducees and Pharisees, but why the separation? Why the distinction? And um, I I found out that the Sadducees were of their day, they were the religious politicians. They were the ones who participated in the Sanhedrin court. They were the ones who collected uh, collected taxes. Um, They equipped and they led the army and they worked with the Roman Empire. Essentially, the Sadducees were um, Switzerland. 
They're the Switzerland of their day. They don't want to take sides. They don't want to offend anybody. They don't want to say anything too strong and too forcefully because then maybe you might not like me. They're the ones who are wishy-washy. Uh, they're the ones who, who like to um, um, blend in and try to um, have you not notice them. And, and they don't ever want to offend anybody. Does that sound like any religious people or organization or places you've ever been to? Drive around here. I challenge you. Drive around here next June. You'll find church after church that have rainbow flags hanging from their, from their signs, unwilling to challenge any type of culture issue, unwilling to stand for what is right and against for what is wrong. That was the Sadducees. Society will dictate what gets said. Society is going to dictate what happens within the church. Our culture determines how we act. All you need is love, right? We ever heard that? All you need is love. Just keep, come as you are. And I know we say that, but it's come as you are, but don't leave the way you came. Okay? You just can't keep coming to church week after week, month after month, and not expect God to start doing something on the inside of you. God is a God who will change your heart. This Word of God ought to change the way you think. It ought to alter the course of your life forever. This Gospel message is a message of transformation. And there are churches out here that are, have a form of godliness, but they're denying the power thereof. Okay, That's the Sadducees. Okay, the Sadducees. What in the world are these Pharisees? So I begin to study the Pharisees. And, and it's much more common than Sadducees. Pharisees were people that, that had the law. They knew the law. They lived the law. They practiced the law. And they killed you with the law. They're in church waiting to see. We got these scriptures here. What do you think about those? Yeah, we can get her on that one. Bam. They're using redemption to kill. That's the Sadducees. Okay? And, and I'm sorry, but not sorry. We've got churches that live this way. They're more concerned about a skirt and no paint than they are about prayerless altars and empty baptismal tanks. I'm all for the stuff that we live in, preach, and believe. I've studied it out. I'm 100% bought in. But the Bible says when you come to Christ and you get buried in his name, you repent and you're filled with the Holy Ghost. You're a you're a new creation. You're a baby in Christ. We don't put a T-bone steak down in front of a three month old baby. You got to grow. You've got to you got to give it time. You got to learn how to walk before they're running a marathon. And everybody's path is just a little bit different. So don't be so quick. To challenge a new convert because maybe they just haven't grasped it yet. Maybe we got to give our Lord and Savior a little bit of time to take that heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. There ought to be people all over this church and all walks of life in all stages of their spiritual journey. If everybody looks like us, we're not making disciples. The Bible says, listen to this, the Bible says... That the, that the house has to be full when he returns. 
has to be. You know what that means? Many people are going to get hired in the last hour. We're not going to have time to clean them up. They're going to get the Holy Ghost and get raptured. They're not all going to look like us. And that's okay. Our job's to make disciples with the time that God gives us. Let's grow people. Let's, let's take wherever you're at, wherever you're at, and get better every day. Get better. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance. This thing called living for God, it's a growth message. And if it's healthy, it grows. So Jesus had a problem with both Sadducees and Pharisees. Listen to this. This, is, this blew my mind. Matthew 3, verse 7. And Matthew 12, 34. Pretty much the same verse. One's John the Baptist speaking. The other one's Jesus. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come unto his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Just the way my mind works. I know that Satan is referred to that old serpent. I know that he was a serpent in the garden. But John the Baptist and Jesus Christ, listen to how specific the word is. Vipers. It's a generation of vipers. When I began to study vipers, vipers are toxic. Vipers are poisonous, and vipers will kill you. And to my surprise, there is actually two different kinds of vipers. If we can put that first picture up. This is a viper. Notice the camouflage. Notice the way that it naturally blends in with its surroundings. When I look at this, I I see a Sadducee. I see people going to a church where they feel good. I see people going to a church that, you know what, they they have some scripture, but it's kind of more self-help. They have some word, but nothing to really challenge a lifestyle. They're, They're hidden in plain sight. You're feeling great, but they'll kill you. They will kill you. And there is another type of viper, if we could put that one up. Some vipers are bright colors. Some vipers, in, in the nature, that is, that is so, don't mess with me. I'm, I'm warning you, don't mess with me. I'm a bright color, I've got poison. But just like the one that blends in, these vipers will kill you. These vipers are poisonous. And I see a Pharisee here coming at you strongly with the Word of God, not hiding trying to condemn you, trying to judge you, and to convict you right to your face. That's what they did to our Savior. They were watching Him to see if He would heal somebody on the day of the Sabbath. They wanted to trick Him. They wanted to to try to catch Him in, in breaking the law. And Jesus says, isn't this a good thing to heal somebody, even if it's on the Sabbath? Vipers will sting you to your face. And they will challenge you and they will chase you. So our world returns to paganism. The Jews return to Israel. And the religious people return to vipers. So what about us? What about us? Our beginning is in the book of Acts. 
Our genesis where we were born as a church body comes from the book of Acts. The book of Acts church was radical in every way. There was signs, wonders, and miracles. There was harvest and revival. There was uh, 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 people who saw the disciples. They saw the power of God operate through them in such a powerful way that they said, you know what? They're, they're, they're Mercury. You know, they're Jupiter. They, they've got it. Those were gods in this Greek culture. These are gods among us. Can you imagine? Has anybody ever mistaken you for a god? Anybody? Me neither. Back then, this is what happened. The Bible says that they turned their world upside down. Paul evangelized all of Asia. Okay, like imagine that. That one guy can go plant all these churches and harvest and revival. This is the church that God is calling us back to become. So how in the world, it's easy to know that. But how do we get there? How in the world can God get us back to our future? I believe that we must worship God in spirit and in truth. That's John 4, 24. I began to think about that, the difference of spirit and in truth, because really the Pharisees worshiped God in truth. They had truth and they were obedient to the truth of the Old Testament law. I believe the Sadducees had spirit. It was feel good. It was was a wonderful church environment, but they neglected that weight of the law. So I began to think about worship and, and pastor has always taught the law of first mention, right? We ever heard that law of first mention? Pay, Pay special attention. Thank God for my pastor. Thank God for my pastor and all of his teaching. Does anybody know where worship is first mentioned? It's okay. It's okay to take a shot and be wrong. It's okay. It's Genesis. It's Abraham. Abraham and Isaac. He says, the lad and I are going yonder to worship. To worship. But we know he was going yonder to sacrifice. Kind of kind of gave me a little bit of a headache to think about that. And I know the word worship in Hebrew mentioned here means to, to lay prostrate in reverence. But I believe that there is a there's insight into Genesis 22, 5 when he says the lad and I are going yonder to worship because it's the first time worship is mentioned. And when he's doing this, he is actually obeying the voice of God in in his sacrifice. It was the obedience that impressed God. He said, do you love me like the heathen love me? They're willing to sacrifice their children. Are you willing to do the same thing for me? It was the obedience... That was more important to God than the sacrifice. That's why he didn't have Abraham carry on or follow through with the sacrifice. He was testing his obedience. And that's why we have the verse, obedience is better. It's greater than sacrifice. I'm convinced that there is insight into this verse. That we can live a life of obedience. And a life of obedience is the highest form of worship to our God. 
weekend, what we do here on Sunday, what we did here just a while ago, it's his spirit bearing witness with our spirit. And that interaction generates a response. Worshiping God in spirit. But when we worship God in truth, that's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of radical obedience. It's what God established in the beginning with Abraham. And it's what God is trying to circle us back around to right now. Radical obedience. And now I'm going to wreck your brain for a little while. We have the story of Joshua taking over from Moses, getting crossing Jordan and getting into the land of Canaan. God says, you know what, you can take down Jericho. I'm going to be with you. There's giants there. You know, God gave a miraculous victory, but he says, you can't take anything. You can't take one thing from Jericho. Everything there belongs to me. It's the first fruits. We talk about that in in the Blessed Life series. The first fruits always belong to God. And so that was God's command. And you have this man by the name of Achan. Achan knew and understood what God had commanded. And he willfully disobeyed the voice of God. And he took some things from Jericho and it says he hid it in his tent. Then the next city on the list for, for this um, the, for the nation of Israel is, is Ai. It's a very small city. They said, man, we just had this great victory. Look at all the giants that we just did. The walls came down. Their faith is at an all-time high. This is just a little city. Surely, surely we can, we can overtake this city. And so they send a smaller army over to this city. And guess what? 36 men lost their life. 36 wives lost their husbands. 36 families lost their fathers. Not Achan. Achan's the one who disobeyed. But the judgment of God was on the nation of Israel. In fact, when Joshua goes to God to find out what in the world happened, God's response is, Israel has sinned. I always thought, man, you know what? I'm going to have to give an account for what I've done. And I believe that. I believe that sincerely. I'm going to have to give an account for what I've done in my life. But I'm also going to have to give an account for what I've done in my life that has affected this church. Because my willful willful disobedience could bring the judgment of God upon this house. That's what it was in the beginning. And you say, well, that's kind of crazy. You know, that's all the way back in the beginning. Listen, listen to this verse in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. We're talking about communion here. And this is Paul teaching the church at Corinth. He says, wherefore, whosoever shall eat of this bread and drink of this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation unto himself, not discerning the Lord's body. You might say, what in the world's communion have to do with this? I kept reading this over and over and over again until I believe God showed me this last phrase here, not discerning the Lord's body. What's the Lord's body? The church is the body of Christ. 
And I looked up that word discerning because it didn't really make a whole lot of sense in English. That word discerning, listen to me, this is, this is powerful. It means to withdraw completely or to separate thoroughly. I'll read this last part again. I'll, I'll read the whole verse again. But let a man examine himself and let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. Not, not separating completely. Not removing or withdrawing thoroughly to the church. We're called to be in this world, but not of this world. God's calling His church back to radical obedience. And if what I understand in Scripture is true, that your righteous living may just be the doorway to the miraculous for somebody else. You can live in such a way as the body of Christ as a whole that God is free to move and act and minister to anyone He chooses because of the harmony and the unity and the consecration that is in this room. What if your lifestyle and your consecration meant that Ann Curtis got healed with cancer? Would you live righteously then? What if your obedient lifestyle was the key to unlocking the doors to signs and wonders and miracles? This is a very scriptural concept and it can be in in our favor or it can go against us. If there's willful disobedience among us, scripture teaches you're partaking of the body unworthily and it affects the whole body because we're all connected together. God confirmed this message on Monday night. He confirmed it to me. I knew I, I had it. I knew all this was planned out. And he says, tongues and interpretation, he says, he says, will you obey my voice? The time is now. Will you obey my voice? Then we're in a group text on Tuesday, Josh Blasick. He says, you know what? If we're ever going to get back to the book of Acts church, there was only three miracles that happened in the church. Everything else in the book of Acts church happened out there. And I'm talking about getting back to the book of Acts church. We've got to get back to what it was in the beginning. And God's getting us there. We're getting a taste of what God's got going on. This is, I remember I felt in prayer two prayers ago, two Monday night prayers ago. I remember, I don't know if you call it a vision or a a thought or I can't really describe it very well. But uh, it was like I was in a living room. And it was, I knew it was Thanksgiving and I knew that I was on a couch with some people, people I didn't even know, but there was the smell of Thanksgiving dinner that I could smell. And I, and I just felt impressed of the Lord. He says, what you're experiencing right now at first church, this is the smell of the meal. This isn't even the meal. The meal's coming. The meal's greater. The meal's better than what you could ever expect. You're getting a taste of it right now. But if you'll submit to radical obedience, we'll come back to the book of Acts church. And then we have this promise that greater things than these shall you do. Not only are we coming back to what we were in the beginning, the book of Acts church, God's going to, we're just going to pass right on by it. We're going to get there and keep going 
because we've got to do greater works than they did back then. We've got a world that's greater than what it was back then. There are more people and we need more laborers. The fields are white, but the laborers are few. We've got to have people who are willing to pray in the grocery store. We've got to have people who are willing to reach out and not just be comfortable praying around here. We've got to have people who are comfortable praying out there because in here, there's a whole lot of saved folk. Out there, they're lost. Where's the, where's the people who need the prayer the most? It's not in here. We've got to get the church outside of the church. And when we submit to radical obedience, there's something that brews inside of you. Something that says, I can't just go to church and experience what I experience on Sunday and not take it to the people who don't have what I have. There is something that will begin to form in you. You're going to want to teach a Bible study. Maybe you've never taught a Bible study. Buy a Bible study. Start learning it. Start practicing it. When you've learned it and you're ready, I promise you, God's going to send you somebody that needs a Bible study. Start praying. God, how can I minister outside of who can I look for? When you're pushing your grocery cart, you're thinking, yeah, I need some soup, but I also need to find somebody to pray for. That's got to be our mindset. If we're going to turn this world upside down, we've got to have the mindset of what they had in the book of Acts. God is willing. God is willing and he is bringing us back to the book of Acts church. But it begins the way it began in the beginning. We have to have radical, radical obedience. Because radical obedience and love always leads to the miraculous. Radical obedience and love always leads to revival. And radical obedience and love always leads to a book of Acts church. So what I want to do right now, it's like, I just think that we need to have a time of consecration. I know that we've experienced the miraculous. I know that we've experienced um, people getting the Holy Ghost. And I'm all for that. You know me. I'm all for that. But I think we need to examine ourselves as we just read. We need to examine ourselves. We need to be willing to to have God speak to us and sift our life. Put our heart under a microscope. I pray that prayer every day. God, God, examine and dissect my life. If there be any unclean thing in you, let me see it so that we can address it, God. Let it bubble up to the top because I, I can't stand before you clean, God, if there's something hidden in my life I don't know. The Bible says the heart's deceitfully wicked above all things. Who could know it? I sure don't know my heart, but he does. That's why we got to pray, God, God, clean me, sift me, bring something to my attention, God. If there's something in my life I've got to adjust or remove, then speak to me. Bring it to my attention. If there's something I think we should go home tonight and examine our homes. Pastor's been talking about the, the, the gospel according to Moses. I remember when I was reading a few years ago in Leviticus, you know, it's about the, the dove offering, the healing of leprosy. And, and you take two, you wring one's neck, you set one free. And then the whole process of that. But in, in the Bible that I was reading that year, it says um, the procedure for the healing of a flesh disease. I love trying to find the treasures woven into the word because I know the gospel. I have the benefit of being after Calvary and looking back. So I understand death, burial, resurrection. 
the shedding of blood, the washing of water, the anointing of the Holy Ghost. I understand that concept. I try to find it when I'm reading the Old Testament and see if God didn't just conceal it somewhere. And it's in Leviticus. I believe it's 14 or 16. I can't remember the chapter. But it's, it's the shedding of blood. And then they, they take the blood. They put it on the right finger, the right earlobe, the right toe. And then they got to take their hands and they got to wash in the water. And then they take oil of anointing. And they put it on the right thumb, the right earlobe, the right toe. To me, it's the gospel according to Moses. It's all the way back there in Leviticus. It's death, burial, and resurrection. But it's, it's woven into that. And it's powerful. So that, that's just where God is perfect in all of his ways. And we have to be willing. But, but after you have the gospel applied to your life and the healing of a, of a skin disease, the worst skin disease I know of is sin. It's concealed. They're talking about leprosy, but revelation, they're talking about sin. You apply the blood, you apply the water, you apply the anointing. But right after that happens, you know what it says? Now go to your house. And you got to clean out your house. Take everything out. Wash all the walls down. Wash the ceiling out. Scrub the floors. Because we've got to be willing not just to examine our life, what's in our homes. And make sure that we're having a godly, righteous home with godly living, with radical obedience. And I promise you, I feel so strongly. If we will submit to consecration and radical obedience, we will see the power of God on display like we've never seen it before. We stand. worship. Let's worship. Come around this altar. However you're comfortable, I believe that we just need to have a, a time of repentance. If, there's any, if you're anything like me, you can get better. <laughs> there's things in our lives that we can clean up. We can stretch and we can reach further than before. Like it was in the beginning, we have to have radical obedience to God's voice. The Bible says that his sheep know his voice. Just being transparent with you all, I I had to repent this past week because I've heard the voice of God. I've heard it in moments. But I think about a shepherd leading sheep. It's a constant voice. It's a constant hearing of the shepherd. I don't hear the voice of God as much as I ought to. I think God's speaking more than we think that he is to each and every person. 
I've been praying and seeking God that he would give me an ear to hear what he's trying to say, not only to this church, but to me. Because if you don't hear his voice, you can't call yourself his sheep. And what a tragedy it would be to have access to this God that we serve. To have access to this amazing pastor that we have. This atmosphere of praise and worship that we enjoy every time we come here. And to not develop an ear to hear. You can't call yourself a sheep. And God's challenging us to deeper. He's challenging us to more. If we want the revival that we want, we can have it. God wants us to have this. The Bible says it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We get caught up in trying to find the will of God for our life and the will of God for my family. And I'm just convinced if you're investing in the kingdom and you're making disciples, you're in the will of God. And if we'll consecrate ourselves, I promise God will do something that will astound you. Let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord, for this amazing night. Lord, we are not worthy of you, God, but yet here we stand. You have tolerated me, Lord. You have shown me such amazing patience. Lord, you have extended your mercy and your favor towards me. God, you are far better than I could ever hope to deserve. But Lord, I know that you love me. I know that you are for me, God. Lord, my heart is full just thinking about that. Lord, I I pray today, Lord, that you would help me to be better. Help me, my God, Lord Jesus, to live a consecrated life. Lord, I repent before you of every sin in my life. I repent before you, God, for every evil thought, for every misspoken word, God, for every word that I spoke and I knew it was wrong. Lord, I need you to cleanse me tonight. I need, Lord, that, that blood from Calvary that still flows today. Wash me, Holy Lord, yet again. You are, you are issuing a challenge to your people tonight, to your children, to your bride. Oh, God, you, you so desire, Lord, Lord, to do wonders among us. But Lord, it has a price. Lord, we must consecrate. Lord, we must obey your voice no matter what you say. God, help us to obey your voice immediately, Lord. Lord, without hesitation, my God. Lord, I pray everybody in this room, God, would develop that ear to hear. Lord, like a like a like a, a, a tuning on a radio, God, that we would dial into a, a certain frequency from heaven, God. Lord, and it would become a familiar voice, God, that the more we hear it and the more we seek after it, God, the more we'd recognize it, God. Oh Jesus, I thank you for challenging us. I thank you, God, that this is not a place that preaches another gospel. This is not a place, God, that that, that preaches, Lord, and teaches, Lord, some of the scripture and not all of it, God. This is not a place, Lord, where there is a a form of godliness and denies the power, God. We are are sincerely asking you, Jesus, do something great here. 
there's something amazing here, God. Let this be, oh Lord, a beginning of something wonderful, a harvest and a reviving of souls unto your kingdom forever, God. Lord, and I pray tonight, God, that what you have given us in this scripture, Lord, your word, your word would not fall to the ground. I pray, Lord, that it would find fertile soil. God, I'm asking you, Jesus, don't let me ever forget. Don't let me ever forget, God, that you're calling us to greatness. And it is our honor. It is our divine honor to serve you and to be your children. Lord, and one day very soon to be your bride. How I long for the day. But Lord, there's still people to reach. We need some more time. As much as I want to be with you, my God, there's still work to do. There are still hurting and hungry and broken people that are waiting for a child of God to cross their path and to interact with them and be led of you in that interaction. Guide us all, I pray, tonight as we leave this house. Please, God, don't let First Church be a place to go to. Let it be a place to go from. And on Sunday, we can gather, Lord, and we can celebrate you and celebrate the amazing things that you've done every day of the week. Dear Jesus, we thank you for this great honor and the privilege to be yours. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Oh, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. Oh, Jesus. I thank you. I thank you. Thank you for allowing me the privilege to teach you tonight. The greatest honors I'll ever have is to be able to be used of God to teach the people of God. Please.
God is speaking like never before. Obey his voice. Persecution is coming. It's coming. The Lord just said he's going to winnow out the church. Sift it. Choose this day. Today. Who you're going to serve. Persecution will either cause you to run or to dig your heels in. Choose this day. Be a part of this. Be a part of this. We need you. We need you. There's people to reach. There's a world to reach. Lord Jesus, I feel so full right now. But Lord, with the fullness, with the fullness, my God, I feel the weight. I feel the weight of the responsibility that is upon us. It's a delicious weight. It's a wonderful weight, God. But I feel the weight. I pray your blessings over your people. I pray that you'd speak to us, lead us, and guide us, God. Continue to challenge us. Please continue, mighty God, to be with us and speak to us. Correct us, Lord, where we need correcting. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would continue, Lord, to lead down our path. Lord, for I know that the steps of the righteous are ordered. We are in your will right now, Lord. We submit to your perfect plan in this city. Lord, let let your ways happen. Let your will happen, God. We're going to remove our own opinions, our own agenda. We're going to set it aside, God. Whatever you desire, Lord, operate through your people like a like a conduit from heaven into somebody else, my Lord. Rivers of living water. My Jesus, I pray, oh God, over your people today. And I thank you, Lord. I thank you tonight for responding to this church, for loving us enough, Lord, to speak to us, Lord, to guide us. Oh, Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that we are yours in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Go home and meditate. Go home and think about this night. Go home and and think about what God has spoken to us. And let God speak to you. Let God lead you and guide you. He will. He will lead you and he will guide you. And come expecting great things on Sunday. But be aware of your surroundings as we go into our communities and into our, our daily lives. Wherever you go, the Almighty God goes with you. You're, you might be the only Jesus people see. Don't just pass by Him. Be sensitive to what God wants to do. I love you all. And uh, be safe going home. And we'll... we'll uh, We'll come back together here in a few days.